0: The audio you're about to hear was recorded in Anchor. Learn more at anchor.fm. Dennis Sampierre, is that you? Yes, sir. How are you, Paul? I'm doing great. We're rolling right into the Paul Hickey podcast here. Thanks for joining the show.
1: I'm excited to be here, and thank you for having me.
0: Dennis Sampierre is a very significant person in my life and in my career honored to have him today he's one of the best he's always got a positive attitude and uh, he's a successful businessman a husband father just overall great guy um dennis and i worked together when i was coming out of college as an intern i was at michigan state about 19 years old met dennis He was the director of public relations for the wnba detroit shock at the time it was 2001 i was an intern we worked together for about seven years at the palace for the pistons and uh, i want to catch up with dennis because he's he's an interesting guy he's always got a lot of great perspective on things and we'll get into his his life and his career and more about our our uh working relationship together as we go here but uh Hi Sam, why don't you uh, tell us a little about? First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and your your background. Let the listeners know who you are and where you came from.
1: Uh, absolutely, Paul, and a, a very kind introduction. I appreciate all of that, and, and you know, there's mutual respect. Uh, so I grew up on an island uh, in Southeast Michigan, so that is definitely unique, um, and people always ask me, does that mean, you know, I was like surrounded by water? And yes, that's what an island is. Uh, There was a ferry boat to go back and forth and it was a two-room schoolhouse. I had eight or nine kids in my class the first six years of my schooling before going to the mainland. So just a unique environment growing up on an island. Um, There was just a unique freedom that sort of came with that and and you kind of found yourself. It was a very safe place. And uh, it allowed me to build independence. I always felt at a very early age, um, including entrepreneurship type opportunities. My parents, uh, blue collar, uh, my dad was a builder. Um, I think I was seven years old. I was up on the roof, uh, you know, helping him and earning money and just developing hardiness. Um, I think that was ingrained in me by my parents and, and my, my family in general. And it's just who I am. Uh, I had a, my parents had a 50/50 rule growing up. Whatever you wanted, they pay for half of it. So I, if I wanted some nicer school clothes, or you know, a, a special shirt, or something I just had to have, uh, they would pay half and I would pay half. If I wanted basketball shoes, or a tux for prom, or my first car, uh, that was the rule of thumb. And I, I think it, you know, it built me to be independent. And to just really learn to, you know, if you want something, then, then you get it.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in there. I love the fact that you grew up on Harsons Island in, in Michigan and uh, always a cool story. And, and uh, entrepreneurship, you mentioned that. We're going to get into that. I feel like that's a reason why you and I have probably like a, a subconscious reason why you and I always connected even from day one. And uh, and then the 50-50 rule is cool. I didn't know about that. I, I love that because uh, Kate and I have tried to figure out what to do with Max because, you know, our soon-to-be 8 year old son, he's a great guy, but great kid, but uh, we, feel, we feel like he kind of gets whatever he wants, and that's kind of our problem. So I might have to adopt the 50-50 rule. I like that.
1: It's a good one. Uh, absolutely. Feel free to put that in play, and I can just tell you uh, firsthand that I really feel that it helped to help me understand the value of money, hard work, um, sweat equity, and certainly my wife, Rebecca, and I are putting that into play now with our three young boys. So I have a 14-year-old son named John, a nine-year-old son named Jack Jackson with an X, and uh, a four-year-old named Ryder.
0: I think your family has been obviously always extremely important to you and that was one that's another reason why I kind of like growing up at the palace as I like to say um kind of learning from you how to balance a little bit of you know and also having a job that was pretty demanding for a lot of years and but also loving the job and want like wanting to be there I mean I think you and I always shared that in common like we always wanted to be there we wanted to be involved we wanted to Build the next thing and and then you know also be be a good husband and a good father you know eventually and stuff so talk maybe talk a little bit about those years and uh what that was like kind of growing your family but also growing as a as a businessman at the palace
1: yeah absolutely i think if it was one word to capture all that it's discipline i i think that's something that every day I, I try to, you know, I do a lot of self evaluation, you know, even now, but certainly back then. And it always points back to discipline and it just balance and, you know, God first family job in that order. But okay, realities are your job is in, typically is incredibly demanding. And and so and that supports your family and so it all works together obviously. But I, I think, you know, that's how I center myself, always always have and Hopefully I get better at it, uh, you know, as I go. It's a more life experience that you gain. So, but in that regard, you know, early on in your career, you're trying to carve out your path. You're, when I started with the Pistons, I had just finished paying my own way through school at Central Michigan University. Um, I was, you know, that took an incredible effort. I was very proud of paying my own way through school and balancing all of that. And now I'm catapulted into a professional career in a very exciting yet demanding industry and so much was expected of you. I called those eight-day weeks, Paul, and I know you remember that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's nights, weekends, holidays. It was the professional sports entertainment industry. So you would entertain people and host them um, at at night or the weekends or the holidays. And so you had to be disciplined with time so that when you were not at work, you were putting your family and your, your other priorities first. So you had to be extremely efficient with your time and your, you know, you had to move with purpose. There was no room or opportunity for for waste. And I think that was just a big part of how I personally was able to balance all of that, you know, throughout the years. And I started in public relations as an intern and then moved up to an assistant and then moved up to a director. And then my big pivot point in my career was when our president, Tom Wilson, promoted me to oversee the Community Relations Department and the Team Foundation. And what I always thought was neat about that, Paul, is he was the president, but he saw something in me that I don't know that I even saw in myself yet at that time. And so I initially turned the opportunity down. And then I came back to him a little bit later and came to my senses and said, oh, my goodness, what, what a tremendous leadership opportunity this is to, to grow. Um, and, of course, to contribute to the overall company goals and objectives. And I did that for 11 years with the Detroit Pistons. I loved every minute of it. We helped people for a living. Uh, People would say, what do you do? What is community relations? And I would always say, I help people overcome their circumstances. Um, That was the privilege of what we were doing with very unique assets. Professional basketball players, coaches, the building, the mascot, the dance team, the team playing. All of these resources that we put into play to ultimately uh, fundraise, create programs, and to help people. And I was very proud of that. And then at the same time, we helped make the company money in selling tickets and sponsorships and filling seats and cheeks and seats, as we called it and profit's not a dirty word. In fact, the more profitable the company was, the the larger our budget was and the more resources we had to then in turn help people do the mission of our department. So, 20 years with the Detroit Pistons and I loved every minute of it.
0: Dennis, you've always been a phenomenal communicator. I think like one one thing that has always stood out to me working for you and with you in the past and even collaborating today on some ventures. Um, you have this great ability to break things down, and, and I I consider you a mentor. When I was growing up, I had a similar path to yours professionally, almost literally followed the exact same path with the, the shock and the pistons in terms of relationships from inside. And then, going more into the community relations side working in your department and your ability to kind of break down what it is that we did and position you're talking about when you took that job um it was definitely one of the more demanding jobs and folks this guy is a grinder man he he's like he will do whatever it takes to be the best and uh always does it with a positive attitude so um I, I love it. I love uh, love talking to you about this, and um, I would say so. One thing you mentioned on earlier on in the as we were talking here is entrepreneur, like your entrepreneurial spirit, kind of getting that early on at a young age, and I almost feel like that played a role in how you built the community relations department at the palace because. You did a lot of, you brought a lot of new things to the table that had never been done before, even if it was just like a little intricacy, you know, even if it was just like a little spin that was different, <clears throat> there was always, you know, working working with you, it was always, you know, okay, we did a great job at the last event, but let's not do the exact same thing five more times this year. Let's always make the next one a little bit better or a little bit different. And I think that you were a lot like being an entrepreneur within, within a larger company, which is which, you know, it's kind of a rare, rare to find those people. And you were, you were at the, you were at the palace for almost 20 years. Can you talk a little bit about, about that specifically, you know, how, how you would always push yourself to be better the next time around?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to start with a story, Paul, because you're right. It always goes back to your roots. It's sort of in your DNA. So this might help offer some perspective and then I'll share a few examples But when I was in eighth grade, I'll never forget this. We had a fitness test in gym class. And you you did it three times, once at the beginning of the school year, the middle, and the end. And part of the test was how many consecutive sit-ups could you do? And the very first time we did this, I did 400 sit-ups in succession. And the next day I came back to gym class. And, of course, there were, like, multiple classes who went through this same exercise. And I said to my gym teacher, all right, so how did I do? Where did I land? And he said, well, you came in second. And uh, Kelly O'Connell, beat you. he did 401. And I thought, huh, okay, I'll get him next time. So the next time around, we come in January, we do this again. This time, I'm, I'm determined, I'm going to double it up. So I do 800 sit-ups consecutively. I come back the next day in class, I ask the gym teacher the same question. He says, you're never going to guess this, but... We came in second again. Kelly O'Connell did 801. And I thought, huh, okay, I got a plan for the next one. I'm going to win this. <clears throat> and a friend of mine says, Well, how do you know? Every He goes last. He always has that advantage. Every Whatever you do, he's just going to do one more. What's your strategy? How are you going to beat him? And I said, I'm going to do so many that he's not going to want to touch it. And my friend said, well, how many are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I'll figure it out in the moment. So we get back out there in May for the last fitness test, and I get to 800, and I get to 900, and I get to 1,000, and I get to 1,200, and I hit 1,500, and I hit 1,800, 1,900. I hit 2,000, and I stop at 2,075 consecutive sit-ups. And I came back in the next day, and the gym teacher said, Hands down, you won. Kelly didn't even want to touch that. And so <laughs> the, the lesson in that story I learned then was you need to be willing to do what others won't. And and I felt like that lesson, you know, here I am telling the story today. And that that, that crazy record for consecutive sit-ups still stands at my middle school in ask Michigan. You can believe that. From 19, uh, you know, the mid-80s. So no one's probably just crazy enough to do what I did. But the point is, if you're willing to do what others won't, I believe that's one way to differentiate yourself. And of course, do it with integrity. Do it with character. Do it with a positive attitude. Not because you feel like you do it or that you're obligated, because you want to. You want to make something the best it can possibly be. To me, that's intrinsic motivation. I can't teach that. I can't. You know, when I'm interviewing somebody, I, I, I look for the things I can't teach, quite honestly. And intrinsic motivation is a big one. And then I would say the other piece back in my time with the Pistons that I felt like was effective from a leadership standpoint was service leadership, putting others before yourself. So when I came into that position to oversee the community relations department, the team foundation, and now I'm on this, this leadership team, you know, team you know, across this very large company, of course you felt the pressure to succeed and so on. But I just sort of instinctively went to every other department head in the company and said, what can our department do to help your department accomplish your goals? I'll never forget the looks on the faces. I received Paul many times people just leaning back in their chair, looking at me just a little suspiciously. Well, what do you mean? No, I mean what I'm saying. What can we do to help you achieve your goals? And, and then it would lead to a conversation. And, and then I came back with a business plan after I talked to 10 total departments or 12, et cetera, across the business. I then sort of overlaid that with our goals. And it was an inside out approach to do what we need to do through our mission and through our objectives. But in the process, helping everyone else accomplish their goals it work. And all of a sudden, other departments who previously weren't willing to support us we're, were running through walls to help us accomplish our goals because we were first helping them accomplish their goals. That is the right
0: way. I mean, that is like, that is something that every single business in America, That you know what, Any every single person in the world can apply that exact same thing in life to any aspect of life and win. Would you agree? I mean, that that is just—it's like—and it's, like it, it's almost—it's almost so simple that it's stupid, but it's so smart. It's like that is how to win.
1: Yeah, I, I agree, and I think you know—it's—it's it's common sense not commonly applied. And I—I I, I like to call it. There's a certain part of my bad English here—but it's a figure it outness. It's like figure it out. Yep. So when I was at chair and I was in that moment and I was, you know, I had to create a strategy, uh, in essence, I had to figure it out. And and so, you know, that was my instinct. That was, you know, what what where I was led was, well, what are the company's goals? Why don't we start there and work backwards? And then we can sort of measure to ensure that our goals and objectives are in alignment with these overall goals and objectives and, and, and yes, if we're helping them accomplish that, we know we're on task. And then, uh, you know, they're, they're, going, they're only going to want to reciprocate because that's human nature. And we're going to do this because we want to do it, not because it's a, it's a tactic on a sheet of paper and a business plan, because right. we genuinely want to see the company succeed. And I was, I was very happy when it started to come together. And as you know, uh, that's when our department really took off and we did start to Implement things that had never been done, like a Pistons Care Telethon, utilizing the TV, the radio broadcast, and the in-game experience to create an 18-hour fundraiser that generated one half million dollars in in one business day. No one had ever done that before in all of sports, and to do something like that, just as one example, that took incredible collaboration across the entire company as well as our constituents. But when you've got when you're building trust. In the relationships in your own department and and across the entire company, that's the type of outcomes you can achieve.
0: And I don't mean to be critical of anyone before you in that position, but it's really having been through that journey with you, in hindsight, it's really hard to fathom something like that happening, knowing kind of what what the climate and, and culture was like before that. I mean, it really... It really was something that you could get on board with. Very, like, not contrived, not fake, just very real. Like, this is what the company wants to achieve. And, you know, if you're gonna be here, you gotta get on board. And man, it was easy to get on board with that, that kind of a, a work environment. And um, so I think, thanks for walking thanks for walking us through all of that. And uh, it's just, just kind of amazing what you can achieve with, with a little bit of communication.
1: Yeah, I, I firmly believe that open and honest communication is one of the critical attributes of good leadership. And I also believe it's extremely rare. So if, if you can establish that, um, and I, I think it's critical, but it also goes back to the people. It always does. You know, you want people on your on your team who, who want it as much as you do. And it goes back to the intrinsic motivation, the character, the integrity, the attitude. If you can find those types of people, then, it, you know, then you can start to put your own top spin on it. You can get creative. You can sprinkle in the pixie dust and take, and take good to great. And that's one of the things I love to do, take good to great. So you're right, the, you know, the, the previous regime... You know, they, they had their own accomplishments, they had their own philosophy. So whenever someone new comes into the fold, that's an opportunity to put your stamp on it and to take it to the next level. And I personally really enjoy that challenge.
0: I think as a as a young person growing up, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old, all the way through age 25, 26 at the Palace, I. Was extremely fortunate to have the opportunity to work with five, six, seven different supervisors in different capacities. But Dennis was always the, the consistent one throughout my time there, and uh, just th- th- this kind of thinking was very rare. And th- and like not even thinking, but this kind of action was very rare. And um, just very thankful to have been a have been a part of that ride. And there's one one other thing, like you know, a lot of different things that I want to ask you, but. One thing that I was always impressed with, and I'd love for you to speak about the preparation behind it because you always made it look really easy. And it was something that I sort of learned through osmosis with, from just kind of watching you and being around you. But like you have this ability to, to, to be at your desk working on something, have somebody come into your office, flip a switch, turn on the ability to help them through a problem. And then five minutes later, you've got to go present to a crowd of like 150 people down in the arena who are there and you just go and and make this amazing presentation with your public speaking skills but you made it look so easy but there's so much preparation behind that and maybe talk through how you how you're able to go from like working on something on your computer to helping somebody through a problem to you know making a you know public speaking engagement
1: the next minute yeah well I appreciate you saying that and You know, first of all, you you learn through your failures. So for any time I've maybe accomplished that in in high fashion, I've probably had a time prior to that where I didn't uh, when I was younger and learning and growing, right? So uh, maybe you were the benefit of seeing, you know, the positive sides of that, but make no mistake, (laughs) I think uh, any good leader, uh, you know, has, has failed. And if you're failing, that means you're doing, right? If you're doing things, that's when you learn and when you grow. And it's also when you screw some things up. Um, and you should be making some mistakes every single day, in my opinion, because that means you're doing things. It means you're proactive. You're assertive. Certainly don't make the same mistake twice. Learn from those. Make adjustments. That's life. It's constant calibration. Um, I was at a my son's Lily game uh, a few weeks ago, and I was talking to uh, a grandfather of one of the – kids on the field and turns out his son had played some minor league baseball for the New York Yankees organization and he said you know what my son tells me that life is a lot like baseball it's surviving the losses and I just love that fall I mean we all make mistakes every day a professional baseball hitter can be out seven out of ten times but they're successful if they hit 300 right so I think we all have to take pressure off of ourselves to not be perfect. And I used to think that way. I, used to, I was more of a perfectionist, and if I wasn't perfect, I was maybe a little bit down on myself or maybe down on the team, like, we can do better. And yeah, you always want to make something the best it can be, but I think being a perfectionist can be dangerous. It kind of takes away the, you know, the ability for somebody to have a certain level of freedom and confidence to do their best work. Um, and so I, I've made that adjustment, um, but ultimately I feel like it's about the process. The process, the process, the process. So when you're preparing for something, it's it's that attention to detail. It's thinking something all the way through 360 degrees twice over. And and when you do that, it, it's like my old high school basketball coach, Mr. Greenwood would always tell us, proper preparation prevents poor performance. The five Ps. And and when you're when you're diligent and, and committed to the process of preparation. That's, in my opinion, how you can quickly maneuver, call Audible, multitask, and and because you're drawing and pulling from a, a, a base of information that's already there because you've properly prepared yourself. And I think that's just sort of a rinse and repeat process on an ongoing basis. Absolutely,
0: 100%. So we talked about communication we talked about preparation and learning from your failures. I love it. With the communication piece, one thing you would always say is you get more bees with honey, and I think you kind of already talked about that, the preparation piece. We're talking to Dennis Sampierre, my mentor, former VP of Community Relations with the Detroit Pistons, was in the NBA and WNBA, I guess. If you want to say that for almost 20 years. And uh, before, so before we go into where you are now and what, what you've been doing, you know, in, in your newer ventures um, in your career. Talk a little bit more about your career path. I do want to ask you before we leave the uh, portion of your career with the Pistons and the Palace, there's a couple of different things I want to hit on. One is, you know, for me, I'm just interested to get your perspective on this because one thing I always took away in addition to what I took away from you, which was very valuable, is that you're gonna get beat up. You're gonna get questioned a lot. You're gonna get knocked down, and it's not all about you. I would say. I would say, like, I'm a very positive person, but a lot of what I took away in my experience at the palace, other than the positivity working in your department, was a lot of stuff from guys like Bill Lambeer, Rick Mahorn, uh, Rashid Wallace, even going over to practice and. You know, sorry to call these guys out, but, you know, they were, you you learned, you kind of learned that it wasn't all about you, that it was going to be kind of someone else's way and you had to adapt to that. And it really wasn't, it wasn't the communication challenges that you would necessarily have in other work experiences, but because of that, it was such an extremely valuable experience to take away as a 21-year-old having to have conflicts with someone like Bill Lambeer, then be able to take that and apply it, apply that knowledge and that sort of emotional intelligence that I gained through that through the rest of my career to communicate with people. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges in communicating with some of the personalities, but then on the positive side getting results through, through the, you know, even I would be easy, Andrew, you agree with me that, like, the end result may have been even more important in some cases?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think what's so important is having the ability to connect with people. And these really go to your soft skills. And I think that that's something that, you know, as I, as I look at the next generation coming up and millennials and things like that, with, with the advancement of technology, which is incredible, um, at the same time, you know, we communicate now in, in small little bites, Right? um in as few characters as possible in a text or a post or what have you. So I, I think the ability to connect with people is becoming a bit of a lost art. Um in my opinion. Doesn't mean I'm right. But that's something that to me is invaluable. And and when you can connect with someone you can build a relationship with someone and then, then comes the trust and then comes uh you know the ability to execute Against that, but it always comes to think about business. It always comes down to relationship um, I, I saw where two departments didn't get along in the past. Therefore nothing would ever get done um, simply because uh, There was a disconnect um, And and yet when you've got the opportunity to build up that relationship uh, It's amazing how you can move mountains and not only get things done, but get them done at the highest level and quickly you can accelerate the process because people want to help you know the other person because of the respect factor that can be established now when you're working with professional athletes as we did you and i for a great many years um you know you're, you're talking about fabulously wealthy people who've been told since uh they were seven years old how great they are okay and and so you you have to understand the dynamics going into that in that you need to be very well grounded is what i felt to be essential to building a relationship you can't be in awe of of a professional athlete or anyone else for that matter you know we're all you know we're we're all equal in my mind Um, we all have different talents and gifts and and skill sets and so forth so while I respect them as athletes you know my hope is they would respect me too in return so I I always felt being well-rounded was was critical towards building the respect of someone who has that type of you know, professional clout, if you will. And I felt like that went miles for me. I'll never forget the time Rick Mahorn, the former Detroit Piston bad boy, uh, you know, he would play basketball with us in the morning at the Piston's practice facility. And, and, and you'll remember this, Paul. And we would play full court. And uh, it was it was always fun to play with former players at, at that level and such. Even when, it was always fun to play with former players at, at that level and such, even when they're retired. And... Afterwards one time Rick was talking about the need for mentorship and how young people in particularly african-americans Needed needed more mentorship. people needed to step up and so I said to Rick What are you gonna do about that? And he just sort of Mm -hmm. looked at me and I said I agree with you So what are you going to do about that? You're in a position Mm -hmm. where you can make an impact because of your celebrityism, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are around that. You've identified the problem, but do you have a solution? And I said it in a fun, heart, heartfelt way because I had built up a relationship with Rick. There was trust, there was mutual respect to where I could have that conversation with him and be candid. And then what we landed on was creating a program, as you may recall, the Pistons Black History Month Tour, where we mm-hmm. led a program with other local celebrities, media members, sponsors, who would go to schools across Metro Detroit and throughout Michigan, and and de- and deliver um, an, an inspirational message to youth to, in essence, help them maximize their their potential. And it was it's a program that I believe still exists. We awarded hundreds of thousands of dollars in scholarships. but more important was the the life-changing messaging that was being shared by this distinguished panel of folks that basically built themselves up from nothing to achieve their goals and success in life. And that was something I was very proud of. And I think it it, it sort of crystallizes what you're talking about in regards to the challenges of that environment. But then on the other side of that, the the achievements you can accomplish when you're able to build relationships with people, whether they're a celebrity, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's, you know, someone, a stranger who you just met. And it's about making that connection with people, establish the trust, and then together you you can accomplish so much versus going it alone. Yeah, that's a
0: perfect example of exactly what I was asking about. And thank you for sharing that. And um, it's an amazing example of not only you as a person being insightful enough to sort of challenge Rick, someone who you have a great relationship with and, and have mutual respect with. and But also, you know, for Rick to follow through on that, I mean, just want to give it up for him always being kind of one of the more introspective guys that we were able to work with and able to kind of take the time for people around him to get to know them and and just one, one of the nicer guys, definitely in the business, and great that that, that kind of uh, morning pickup basketball game turned into something really special for, for thousands of people in the metro Detroit area and, and around, around the region. And that, that's super special. And uh, what, a well, great, what a great opportunity that we, that we had to, to have some of that impact and, and work with, with those people. That was great.
1: You know, Paul, I, I'll just add on to that to say, I think a big part of it is having confidence in yourself. You, you know, all of us need to have confidence in ourselves. We, again, we, we do, we all have our own very unique, you know, abilities and talents and gifts. And lean on those, like play to your strengths. And, 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 and I think when you exude that confidence to others, in that case it was with professional athletes and coaches and such, um, I think they pick up on that. Now don't be overconfident, no. No, that I don't believe in that don't be arrogant um, that is not the right approach I'm just saying just have confidence in yourself your ideas your belief system your core values and people were people will pick up on that it gives them a feeling uh, a certain level of comfort and trust comes from that and and I think with so much that we did with those athletes and um, I, I think that was maybe at the core of that, and, and, and sort of in general in life. You know, I always just say it's not how hard you can hit, it's how hard you yeah, take a hit. How hard can you Still take it? Still get up. And, 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 and there
0: were great stuff. Time, hey Dennis, time. I'm gonna have to uh, end this segment and uh, call you back for segment two. But thank you so much for being here on segment one of the show, and we'll pick back up for segment two here in a little while. I appreciate. It. So you heard segment one of the Paul Hickey podcast with my mentor, Dennis Sampierre. We're going to continue on to segment two. Thank you for listening.